The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thanks, Jeff. We're spending time looking at uh, the very heart of God. Jesus described his heart in Matthew, saying he's gentle and lowly. He's humble, and humble doesn't mean self-deprecating. Humble means confident of who you are before God and others. And this is a theme throughout the scripture, what Jeff just read us, and the reason I picked this passage is I think it's the most aggressive, negative, toned version of this because it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Jeremiah calls our righteous deeds filthy rags. And if you want to learn something interesting about that phrase, Google it. Not preaching on it. Jesus says some of his harshest words, which I'll uh, read in a minute, to those that were hypocrites. And it's so interesting because he just told the disciples, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they had become legalistic in the way that they were appropriating the teaching of the kingdom. It's in Matthew 23. Here, what's happening is uh, Paul's writing to the Galatians. Galatia is a group of churches, and some people in the Galatian church were saying, yes, Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus keeping the law in a specific and certain way. In chapter 5, Paul says, I wish those people would emasculate themselves. Not kidding. Not making that up. I'm not exaggerating. That's how mad he is. In chapter 3, he's waving his rhetorical or writer arms at the Galatians saying, this is so dangerous. See, we see the word bewitched and we think of the pleasant show from the 60s, right? This is a Christian apostle. To speaking to followers of the way in the first century when it was often, though not always, illegal to proclaim Jesus as Lord, saying, when you say Jesus plus works of the law, you're, you're practicing voodoo. You're practicing Wicca. He's waving his arms, saying this is not the way. This is not my notes. 
Like, I can't preach that sermon. Here we go. Wow, it's many pages off. Faith can get real ugly when it starts to look inward instead of in gratefulness remember that the Spirit saves us and matures us. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is one of the very unique things about our faith. Not everything about Christianity is, or even many things, are unique. But it is unique that we worship a man who was crucified. And then he asks you, I love this, he says, let me ask you only this, and then he asks five questions. Parents, that ever happened with you? Kids? I just want to say this one thing, and then ten minutes later. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And he asks four more questions at least. Who saved you? Was it you or was it God? That's what he's getting at. Who began the process of you coming to faith? Yes, you responded in faith. Yes, you're responding right now. You're here in in church worshiping because you're grateful. But we have this tendency. We are prone to forget. And when we forget, one of the ways that we forget is actually by keeping the rules more carefully and then beginning to believe, as some were teaching in Galatians, that keeping the rules actually merits something instead of being so grateful that the Spirit saved us and then responding in joyful obedience. And here's why we're preaching this as part, I'm preaching this as part of this series. God saved you and is now maturing you because that's who he is. He saved you because that's who he is. He's growing you, maturing you, and when he says being perfected, that's how we grow. All of our worship service is designed to facilitate that growth, but it is the spirit that grows you and me. Matthew chapter 23, after telling the disciples to listen to the Pharisees, Jesus then speaks very directly to them after a long time trying to recover and teach them about the the kingdom. He says some pretty harsh stuff. And I want, if you can, hold this question as I read from Matthew 23. How ugly can it get when we continually practice religion, not out of gratitude, but thinking that that's what God wants is for us to behave. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, this is Jesus, speaking to people he cared for deeply, which is why he's trying now with harsh words to recover them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. 
you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. The Pharisees and scribes, some of the Pharisees and scribes were adding rules, rules about generosity. And Jesus is saying that it's very, very ugly. He goes on, but I'm going to spare you the rest of the woes. Begun by the Spirit and then grown the same way. We mature not through white-knuckled obedience, but by the Spirit. Do you like to read the Bible? If not, ask the Lord to give you that affection. But don't force yourself to do that. You're beginning to do something that's ugly when you force yourself to practice these things. And there's a difference between being tired and then you open and you're like, oh, this is lovely, and just not wanting to. But the ugliness is something we are so prone to. Are you so foolish? Paul asks, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So how do we grow and mature? The Holy Spirit. Do we get to participate with the Spirit in that? Yes, of course. But how does it happen? Not through our effort, but through the Spirit. And he says in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And I think his point here is an interesting one. One of the sweetest gifts of the with God life is that your suffering is not purposeless. Your whole life is caught up in the plan and purpose of God. Therefore, what has happened to you is not meaningless. This is one of the sweetest gifts of the gospel. A friend of mine who is not a follower of Jesus actually was telling me about that's one of the sweetest parts of the gospel in his opinion. I was like, wow. And then he told me other things that he thinks are not so sweet, which is why he's not a follower of Jesus. But that particular thing, he knows the scriptures. When we act as though we can save ourselves, when we act as though we can grow ourselves up through just obedience, not out of gratitude and love, that gift, either we forget that gift or it's no longer available to us, that our suffering is included in God's plan and purposes. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, I'm in verse 5, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There's an encouragement in this that I want you to hear. If you're a follower of Christ, sometime this week, you loved well. And it wasn't because... Well, let me say this. Some, sometime this week you loved well and it was a miracle. It was a miracle of the Holy Spirit that God did in and through you and we're grateful. Because the, uh, the curse that the world is under is powerful. Sin is ever-present and yet once or twice or 20 times this week you loved well. You were kind to someone who needed it. You listened when you didn't feel like it. You showed up to a suffering friend. That was a miracle. And when you believe that it was because you're great and it slips in, 
you miss the miracle of the Holy Spirit in you who saved you and is growing you up. You miss the very heart of God. There are so many ways that this seeps in. A few weeks ago, um, a friend, a few months ago, a friend came and uh, worshiped with us. And I was really surprised. You know what I mean? Surprised that he was coming to church. Because in me is a judgmental person that's kind of proud of myself and how I carry myself in the world. He carries himself differently. And I was surprised. And man, it's really humbling when you're standing up here about to preach the word of God to the people of God and you see someone and you judge them and then you're humbled by your judgment. Welcome to my world. Friends, there is a tendency in us to forget that the Spirit saves us and the Spirit matures us. And then when we're participating with that, that is beautiful. But when we come to believe it's Jesus plus my effort, it gets very, very ugly. There are two ways to run from God. One is to believe we know what's best and live however we feel. And that's incredibly harmful to us. The other way is to do everything right. And it is ugly. Begun by the Spirit and grown with faith as Abraham was. This is a very important aspect of how Paul argues about the gospel with followers of God who are Jewish, followers of God who are Gentile, and those who are not yet followers of God. He refers to Abraham because Abraham wasn't Jewish. Eventually the Jewish nation flows out of him, but he was called righteous. It's quoting Genesis chapter 13, 15, excuse me, 15. Because he had faith, not because he kept the law. The law was 400 years after Abraham lived. So Paul loves this example because it tells so many things all at the same time. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's us. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you realize the scope of what Paul's, Paul's saying? He's talking, this is 2,000 years ago, telling them what God said to Abraham more than 1,000 years before that was the gospel. Now he's quoting Genesis 15. You know, like gospel. And this is a reminder. I don't know if it's subtle or overt. Depends on how familiar you are with the scripture that this is God's heart to save and to recover. And it's always been this way. He has always been this way. begun by the Spirit and grown with faith as Abraham was, we are blessed. We are blessed that the Spirit saves us. We respond by hearing with faith. We are blessed that the Spirit matures us. We respond to that by hearing with faith. And now we're guided. Jesus was accused regularly of being a friend of tax collectors 
and sinners. And uh, he appreciated that criticism so much, he took it on. He was like, you're, you know, you're right. We often use that in our prayers. But when he was being accused of it, he told several stories. Many of you know that uh, I'm a big fan of the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's one story in it I don't like. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in fact, my Bible says the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm crossing it out. Excuse me. Because what Jesus said in verse 11 was, there was a man who had two sons. And if you know this story, listen, there are two ways to run from God. There are two ways to run from the embrace of the Father. One is to live however you feel and harm yourself and everybody in your wake. And the other way is to do everything correctly and become a very judgmental person. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was looking to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And if Jesus had ended it there, I wouldn't have crossed it out, but he didn't. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It is a terrible effect of the curse that part of our humanity is to run from God through obedience. 
to resist the embrace of the Father. And we are prone to it. And the danger is not only in the description, but what happens when we allow ourselves to grow in our judgmentalism, when we do not repent of the moment where we see someone in church and are surprised, (laughs) we miss the heart of God. His heart is that you be saved and grown and embraced by him. Rembrandt painted this three times. I've shown this in church before. This is Rembrandt's return of the prodigal son. And you see the brother looking on. But the opportunity is to receive the embrace, which is why the father went to the older son with the same arms open, with the offer, all that's mine is yours. Would you pray with me? Father, we long to receive all that your Holy Spirit has for us. We long to set down our tendencies to legalism. We long to joyfully follow you. Would you remind us, Father, Son, and Spirit, that it is you who saves and you who grows up because that is your very heart. Amen.